All right. I am just so excited that you could all have something to do over the weekend. Are you guys ready back there? You guys ready? Okay. All right, I'm really excited that you had something to do over the weekend. And I want to let you know, as we were praying and preparing for this relationship series, we took in consideration your possible responses. For some of you, you were really excited, and you probably were thinking, finally, we're going to talk about relationships. I've been waiting for it. How come it took so long? I mean, this is actually the opportunity to find out how you can help me find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Others of you have really been excited because you've been wanting to be able to have someone speak truth into your brother. This is how you act towards women. <laughs> Ladies, you have to understand, it takes us a little bit time, okay? Just let us warm up to you, you know? And also, you know, sometimes it's okay to say yes when we ask you out. Others of you had a little anxiety. You're a little concerned. No, not relationships again. Isn't that all we ever talk about around this place? I mean, everyone's talking about who's dating who, who's breaking up, will they get back together. I had a bad relationship in the past. I don't want to get my heart broken again. Why do we have to deal with this subject? Can't we talk about more serious things? Well, no matter where you come from, whatever your response is, we hope, that this series will be different. It will be unique. And hopefully it will cause the conversation. In fact, that's kind of the setting I'd like to open us up in. I'd like to get a little more casual, a little more laid back, and really make this be a conversation in and around relationships. Because whether you realize it or not, we are all created in the image of God. And what does that mean when we're created in the image of God? Well, it actually begins by looking at God in the Godhead. God is made up of three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they were the original community. And as they related to each other, they model what it means to be in relationship, in community, in a family, together, where you support, encourage, empower, and love each other. And you make it be circular, so it's always going on. Well, in the same way, we're created in God's image, and we have that same relational makeup. Have you ever thought about that you have a DNA structure that has made you be social. You are a social being. I'm a social being. No matter if you're wired as an introvert or an extrovert, God has made you want to have someone that looks you in the eye and says, I believe in you. I see potential in you, and I can't wait to see God use you in a mighty, powerful way. In fact, we all want someone that knows us, knows the way we think and act and can encourage us along the path of life. Others of us actually want someone that can actually, you know, pull the steel-toed boots out and every once in a while kick us in the pants. Maybe they don't want the steel-toed boots, but they want someone to come alongside and say, you know, I'm not sure you realize it, but you didn't really handle it that well. Or perhaps, I might have done it a little bit differently. Do you want to talk about that situation? In other words, as part of being relational human beings, we want to be able to have someone that we can talk to, someone that we can relate with, someone that can actually walk along life with. And sometimes, sometimes, 
That might mean it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, which might lead to a husband or wife, a spousal relationship. But other times, and I would put down the premise, most times it means that you want to have a person that you can relate to that's a friend. Because I believe relational DNA rests on the foundation of friendship. So what does friendship look like? How can we understand that whole basis of relating to one another? Well, I want to give you a couple of couples to think about for for a minute, okay? I'm just going to read off a couple of couples, and you tell me what they have in common. Harry and Sally, from the famous movie, 1989 movie, When Harry Met Sally, okay? Sergeant Martin Riggs, and Sergeant Robert Roger Murtaugh from Lethal Weapons movies, John and Catherine Adams, John, if you don't recognize John Adams, John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth U.S. president, Charlie and Hugo from the TV show Lost, Sakal and Trip Tucker from the TV show Star Trek The Enterprise, David and Jonathan from the first half of the Bible, and Barnabas and Paul from the second half of the Bible, and some in-house examples, Bonnie and Johnny Yelverton, (laughs) and if I humbly put in that company, my wife Mary and myself. What do all these couples have in common? I heard it. Can I hear it again? Friends, they're friendship. Now hold on for a second. We gave some examples of guy-guy, guy-gal, and husband and wife, but the common denominator of all these pairs of people is that they have a bond with another human being, a deep-rooted connection where the other person can actually look into the eyes in the soul of the person, of the friend, and actually know the longings of his or her heart and actually see what's depressing or disappointing in life and actually help bring courage and hope and opportunity. That is deep, penetrating friendship. So that leads me to the next question. If we're going to look at this relational DNA and we're going to look at a conversation around relationships, and we're going to start it with the resting foundation centered on friendship. Are we friend-worthy? Are you friend-worthy? Am I friend-worthy? Just take a moment and think about what friend-worthy is. A friend-worthy person is when he or she is dependable and reliable. Scripture has something to say on that. When we look at Proverbs 18.24, we can read, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When you think about the word dependable and reliable, what comes to mind? I hope that as we create this culture and fire, that not only will we create a hospitable environment where anyone from any background, any educational experience, any work-related experience, that we can all accept each other. 
And from that, we can come to find out what the truth and the most important thing is. And that is that someone already answered. They all have Jesus Christ in common. It's to come to know God and then live for him. But to do that with a friend or two around us. And that means having a bud, a pal, a companion that is reliable. So that if you say, hey, let's get together and let's go out to dinner, that your friend shows up. And did not give an excuse that something better came along. Because my wife said it well. My wife, who, by the way, got married in her early 30s, so she had a little experience in single life. And she had several girlfriends, and oftentimes they'd get around, and some of her girlfriends were saying something like, you know, I've been living at home with my parents. I'm not really sure I'm uh, ready to move into an apartment with some other gals. Um, Mr. Wright hasn't come along. What do you recommend, Mary? And Mary would always say the same thing. She would say, I really believe God wants you to move out of your house and live with some girlfriends, some ladies that can actually speak truth in you, can actually observe the way you live, and can actually be there for you, whether you want them in your life or not. Because one of the things you have to learn to do is you have to learn to live outside of your parental home and become interdependent or at least cohabitate with other people which will prepare you for marriage if God leads you into a spousal relationship. Now think about that for a minute. My wife, who got married in her early 30s, uh, mid, mid-30s, all right, late 30s, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, she had a lot of, lot of close women in her life, and they were really struggling with their aging singleness. And she said something that I thought was really profound. She said, we are not to sit there and hope for something that is not tangible today. But instead, make what is tangible a reality today. And that are the people that live in proximity to you. Make them become your deepest, closest connection. Make them be the ones that are going to be there for the test of time. Because another interesting reality, as a singles pastor here at Grace Chapel, I have gotten a lot of questions. A couple questions like this. This guy, Tom, came to me a few years ago and he said, do you believe in love and first sight? I said, you know, Tom, I get that question a lot. I said, I believe in love. I really do. I believe in love and I also believe in sight. I just don't necessarily believe that they're matched together. I believe God loves you. I believe God loves me. And I believe God has people that will love us as we love them back. But I believe God gives us the sight, the wisdom to observe other people, to observe women of the opposite sex, and to maybe, Tom, take the time to get to know someone outside of the romantic tension and find out if they're friend-worthy. And if so, God will give you the insight, the eyes, to see the inside of a woman so that you're not immediately attracted to the romantic woman. And then I had a woman named Tori come to me and she said, can I... Can I really trust another man? I've been broken and beaten, and I've been really pounded on by some bad relationships. And I said, how can you not trust? I said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And she said, yes. You know, in fact, I'm just exploding in my faith right now. And I said, do you trust that Jesus loves you? She said, yes. I said, do you believe God can redeem the past? And she said, yes. I said, can you find peace and forgiveness 
not only in yourself, but in these past relationships? Can you trust Jesus with your past to allow him to give you wisdom, discernment, and experience for the future so that you can take those experiences and help understand where God might lead you into a future relationship? And she said, I don't know. I said, Tori, thank you for being honest. I said, do you have any good friends in your life? And she said, a few. And I said, I really think it's going to take for you to actually hang out and get to know people that are of the opposite sex and of the same gender and actually experience some fun together and do some service projects together. And maybe God will lead you into a mission trips experience where you can actually see what friendship looks like in country and out of country. And in the season of friendship, I think God will redevelop trust in your life so you can be prepared for deep-rooted relationships in the future. Now, if it looks at dependable and reliability, I just have a question for you. Thinking about some of the friends in your life. I'm not saying you have to write down a list right now and say, you know, John, Tom, Dave, Dan, and sit there and say, on a score of 1 to 10, you know, John is dependable with a 6, and Dan's a dependable guy. You know, he rakes up there. He's a 10. But that guy, Dave, you know, he's only a 3. He's not really friend-worthy to me. I'm not asking you to evaluate your current friendship. Instead, turn it around and evaluate yourself. Are you friend-worthy? Are you the type of person, another person in this community, or perhaps the community where you work with, or with the friendships that you maintained in the past, would those people rate you as highly dependable, as a person that can be counted on, as someone that will always stick through with his or her word, that when I'm struggling, I know you're reliable and I'm going to come to you, and I know you'll keep whatever I'm struggling with in confidence, and you will pray for me or encourage me or offer hope when I ask for advice. That's being friend-worthy. The next one is loving and devoted. In John uh, 15, 13, paraphrasing that, no other friend is more worthy than one who will lay down his life for another. Are you living a sacrificial life for your friend? That if they're going through a difficult time and they say, you know what, is there any way you can come over? And you kind of bleary-eyed pick up the phone, it's like 2.30 in the morning, and you're like, who is this? What? You want me to come over? I just want to go back to bed. No. You get in your car and you meet your friend because you know that he's depending on you, but more importantly, he looks at you as a loving brother or a loving sister that will be there through thick and thin to be honest with, to be devoted. Friendships start with initial conversation. It may be skin deep but will really penetrate to a longing-lasting development over time. It's been said, the more you invest in someone else's life, the more they will respond to your character. Are you ready to be held responsible for your character, but more importantly, allow another person to shape and mold your character so that you'll be more friend-worthy? Consistent and challenging. The hardest thing, I think, is when we look at Scripture sometimes and we read it and we wonder exactly what it means. But in Proverbs 27, 6, it says, 
Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. A friend-worthy person sees character that's going on in your life that may not be flattering to God or his people. Could be harmful to yourself or your family and will actually come to you at the risk of friendship and say, I don't like the way you've been lying. I want you to know I see a pattern of tardiness. You, you say you're going to be places, but then you don't show up. You don't even call on your cell phone. Yet I always see you using the cell phone. Or you call me lazy. Do you know how that hurt me? A friend-worthy person is willing to confront a friend out of love and risk the friendship, which I believe, if you're truly friends, who are devoted and relying on each other, it will be a short-term wound for a long-term gain. Kind of like working out. If you've worked out and you know you go for your run and you haven't run for a long time, you strain and stress your muscles and then you're limping around that afternoon and the next day and you're like, oh, I'm in so much pain. But it takes like three or four times of running and then all of a sudden your muscles gain back their vibrancy and their vigor. And then as you run more, you can run farther and you can run stronger and your heart feels bigger and better and everything just grows inside of you. You feel healthier and stronger. So it is as friends who are challenging and confronting one another. That's really important and significant. And that's the kind of friend-worthy person you are being called to be. Can you be someone that is not afraid to be honest? Because what happens, as the proverb said, if we're a bunch of idle flatterers, we're always going around and saying, you're doing great. Oh, I just love you. You're such a wonderful person. You're terrific. And yet you know, you know in your heart of hearts as you drive away from fire or Sunday, or from a time of hanging out at the movies, that that person not only let you down, but has hurt two of your other friends, and no one has addressed it? Who is going to be the bigger friend? It's going to be the person that confronts out of love and looks at being part of God's restorative process for revelation. It takes a friend to convict. It takes a friend to stand through and the follow-up after you've confronted someone, and not let that person hibernate or hive off or stew, but a good friend will follow up in a day or two and say, hey, have you thought about what I said? Do you know I love you and I'm not going away? I don't care if you're in a bad relationship. I don't care if you got fired from your office. I am not going anywhere. You can depend on me. And I want to be able to speak truth into your life. And I hope, I hope you'll speak truth into my life. That's being friend-worthy, being open and honest. Now I want to give you a couple of examples that are a little challenging when it comes into the, the dating relationship of whether you find out the opposite sex is friend-worthy or not. A little confession time. Many of you know that I kind of grew up here spiritually in the young adult ministry. I started coming to Grace Chapel in 91 after I served in the Peace Corps. 
and I got involved in a group very similar to FIRE. It was the previous group called BASIC. And as I got more involved in BASIC, they got me more involved in leadership. And they asked me to lead one of their small groups, which we called care groups at the time. And this great guy, Steve, and I co-led this, this care group in, in my house up north of here, about 20 minutes. And God honored that group. It was amazing. We started with like a sheet of 10 people from BASIC, and he called five, and I called five. And you know what? The first night that we met, all two of us showed up. No one out of the list that we called showed up. So we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we just started to pray. The next week, three people that weren't on that original list showed up. The next week, six more people. So we had like 11 people, and it just kept growing. We had on average like 24 people meeting a night. In the second year that we were running it, we had this gal in the group who was this attractive young lady who really caught Steve's eye. And he was kind of confiding in me that he's growing attracted to her and how should he handle the relationship. And I said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can I really support you through this? And he said, well, I just don't know what to do in this and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you are a good friend and I just want to be there for you. So we prayed and there was a basic dance that we had. And this young lady asked me if I could pick her up and bring her to the dance. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, danger. Warning, warning, warning. Steve is interested in her. I am his friend. Do not break the guy-guy bond friendship rule, okay? But I'm human. I'm a guy. Woman attracted to me. So, I tell her, no. I said, I thought you were going to the dance with Steve. She said, oh, yeah, he's invited me, and, you know, he's going to pick me up. But I just thought maybe you could take me. And I said, no. He picked her up. They show up at the dance. I'm helping out, and she comes over, and she's like my best friend. And I'm trying not to paint a bad light of her, but it's very apparent that Steve likes her, our whole group knows that Steve likes her, and she's now coming to me. And I'm in this awkward place, and I don't know what to do. So I go over to one of my other guy friends, and I say, protect me. If you see me alone with her, come over and ask me to talk, or bring me over to clean up dishes, or whatever. She comes and gets me to dance. And she confides in me that she told Steve on the ride over that she's interested in me and that she loves him like a brother and does not want to hurt him anymore. And now I'm laying my heart out on my sleeve. What do you want to do with me? I said, Steve's my friend. We're co-leaders. We're partners in the gospel. I said, I can't hurt him. And I said, I'm flattered that you want to go out with me, but I'm going to say no for right now. And she goes, will you at least consider it? Now, i got to tell you, I hadn't dated anyone in like two years. <laughs> and I got this really, really nice lady that I've gotten to know in a matter of months in our life community. I've observed her. I've seen her grow spiritually. She lived in my hometown where I was living. She got involved at Grace Chapel. All the things that I was looking for. So I did the honorable thing. I went to Steve, and I said, Steve, tell me how your ride over was. 
terrible. So he was miserable. He says, I don't know what to do. I just want to leave right now, but I, I suppose I've got to take her home. <laughs> and I said, make her walk. <laughs> and, and, and he said, how are you coming to me? Aren't you going to go out with her now? Aren't you going to continue to date with her? I saw you two dating on the dance floor. And I said, guilty. I said, I did not want to dance with her. In fact, I tried to run away. <laughs> this is confession time, okay? And um, I said, can we talk about this? And I looked him right in the eye. And I said, now is probably not a good time. He said, oh, no, it's not. I'm ready to punch you. <laughs> I said, that's what I love about our friendship. We can be honest. <laughs> he called me the next day. Actually, I called him because I hadn't heard from him. I called him the next day. We got together. And I said, are you ready to talk about it? He said, reluctantly. I said, fine. I said, I told her no. I said, I will not go out with her. And he said, you really did? I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I had some time to think about it. And she was honest with me to tell me I'm her brother and she's not interested in dating. And she told me that she likes you. I guess there's nothing I can do to prevent you two from dating. I said, yeah, there is. Tell me not to go out with her. I won't go out with her. You mean too much to me as a friend. I don't want to break the guy rule. Two brothers, two friends need to commit to being together. A relationship for future romance that could be short-term boyfriend-girlfriend and then end and cost a brother-to-brother -brother friendship was not worth the price. Yes, a romantic relationship that could blossom into a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship that could lead to marriage would be awesome, but not at the cost of a brother-to-brother -brother friendship. So he said to me, let me... Let me really pray and think about this and see where we are. Because he wasn't sure he was going to continue to leave with me for the group. He was so hurt by this situation. He came back to me probably a week later. I led that group uh, by myself that week and um, avoided her very carefully, very lovingly. And um, he said, you know, I can't hold you two back from happiness. I want you to go out with her. I said, are you really sure? Are you positive about this? He said, you have my blessing. So I dated her. I went out with her. And it hurt him tremendously. And I'm going to get to that second part. And the second part is, are you friend faulty? If we started with being friend worthy, the latter part, the opposite, the antithesis, the things that would make you not be ready for a relationship, are the things that also make you not ready for friendship. Are you friend faulty? In other words, you're not dependable, you're not reliable, you're not honest, you're not open, you're not loving, you're not caring. But also, are you causing discord? Are you causing dissension? Are you causing division? The number one problem with that is gossip. And I've got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I believe we have a problem in our DNA makeup of fire. I believe... We want to have valuable friends, but we are causing friendships to break in a road because we are gossipers. And you know, gossip broke out in my 
basic community group. They knew that Lisa showed up to the dance with Steve. They also observed that I was dancing with her that one dance. They also saw Steve was not there that following week for our community group. And they also saw me not looking at Lisa. And they started to talk among themselves. Gossip can happen anywhere to any group. And it's a problem. In fact, it says in Scripture, Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. Did you hear that second part? A gossip separates close friends. We have come together. In fact, it was so awesome to hear about the deep, penetrating friendships from the testimonies shared at the retreat. In fact, I think about Brad and Dan and some of the others and just talking about their friendship and how they're coming together. But I'll tell you what, if one of those brothers starts talking about another brother behind his back, it will just sever the heart and erode their friendship. And gossip is not always bad. There can be what I call uptalk, where, for example, let's say I was going for a job, and I had a great job interview, and I actually got the job. So I call my friend Ted, and I say, hey, Ted, you won't believe it, but I got the job. And Ted shows up to fire before I get here, and he starts telling everyone, hey, great news, JT got the job. And I come in, and I'm like, why is everyone so happy? Why are they thanking me? Congratulations. He's stolen the thunder of me telling my own good news. It's now second in. It's old news. So that's robbing someone from personal courage and hope. It's stealing someone's thunder. But gossip that we all know is, did you hear what JT did? He did it again. Will he ever figure it out? Man, that guy is not dependable. He says he does this, but he does something else. He's a real scoundrel. That guy shouldn't be here. We should kick him out. Gossip hurts, especially when your friend shows up. The one that was talking badly about you. Hey, JT, you're the man. You're the best. You're number one. And as soon as I leave the room, hey, JT, He'd be lucky if he rated 10 on the list of 10 people. Gossip really erodes. In fact, we can go ahead and read in Proverbs 26, 20 to 28. Listen to the careful structure of these words. Words, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like cho choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him. For seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. 
If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. So the problem, again, is not looking at your five closest friends and finding fault with them. That's not what we're talking about here. Oh, yeah, I can tell you all the people that gossip at fire. I can tell you all the people that I went to college with that are flattering tongues and fools because they never talk honestly with me. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to turn the lens back on yourself and say, do I have a problem with the way I use words? Am I friend-worthy and I speak encouragement and I build others up? Or do I need some work? Is my life under construction because I have some cracks in my foundation? My DNA is eroding and not holding its cohesiveness. Another problem of being friend-faulty might be backstabbing and or backbiting. And again, this happens so easy with us. And I've got to go back to my example for a minute. I had three or four dates with this gal. And I was taking it extremely slow, and I kept checking in with Steve. He reluctantly came back to co-lead the group. And then I heard from a couple of friends that he was talking badly of me. He was really angry. And he started to spread that venom throughout that young adult group. JT stole my girlfriend. JT said that he would never go out with her, and now he's dating her. JT said this and did that, and JT this and JT that. And it hurt. It hurt for a couple of reasons. One, I thought I did the honorable thing. I thought I really went to him and asked, could I date her? And he gave me his blessing, so I, I actually took him at face value for his words. But I'll tell you what. Three of the women in my group were friend-worthy, and they confronted him, and they said, time out. Tell us about your interactions with JT. We saw you guys talking the dance, and I have a feeling you talked that week. Tell us the conversations. And they rooted out of him what we shared. They got the truth from him without the vinegar and without the venom. And he shared that I asked him permission to date after agreeing not to date. And they said, you have no right talking badly about JT. Stop what you're doing. And they were speaking to him out of love, and they're also guarding my back. Do you see how the friend faulty, when you're surrounded by friend-worthy people, can help correct you? Because the last part, is I learned a valuable lesson. It was difficult, but I learned it. Friendship is more important than a relationship. And if I'm hanging out with some good buds, and there's a guy that I have just been tracking with for a while, and he's interested in a woman, that woman is on my do not touch, do not consider, do not dream about, do not think about list. And I learned it out of unfortunate experience. 
But as guys, we should be supporting and encouraging each other for friendships that have character and character that can be dependable and reliable. Well, I kind of came down heavy on you when I talked about gossip. Unfortunately, there's one more thing I need to come down heavy on all of us, and I'm fitting in this mold too. Another thing that robs deep, penetrating friendships that allow a person to be known to the core where other people know the inside and out is clicking, hiving off, developing cells of people that we just got our friends and that's all we need. Here we are to be an open group, welcoming people from all over New England, going out into the far reaches of the world, spreading the love of Christ, being able to be partners in mission efforts, like we shared earlier, to uh, the Jordan and to Ecuador. Yet, we have a DNA fault line, and that fault line is clicks. And here it starts out pretty well, and I've got to be honest, it's subtle. I get... Calls, like I shared earlier, from Tom and, and Tori. But I also get calls like this. Terry will, will give me a call, and he has never been to Grace Chapel. He said, I moved to the area, and I'm looking for some friends. Do you know if there's a group at Grace Chapel that I could come and, and meet some guys and you know, do fun things like play games or go mountain biking or hang out on the weekends? I said, yeah. Come to FIRE. FIRE would be the best group for you. You know, there are honest, awesome guys in FIRE. And I get the same phone call from women. You know, this gal, Sarah, you know, she calls. She says, you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like I want to do something outside of my house on the weekends. Are there any gals that might want to do things like, you know, go to the movies or hang out, go walking on the beach, you know, get to know each other? And I said, Come to fire. It's a great group. It's awesome. And you know, whether you're a guy or a gal, and that's one of your top reasons for coming to fire, you show up. And you know what? You make friends. You found an answer to your phone call. You show up, and it's exactly what I said on the phone. You'll make friends. But then something happens. You start going mountain biking on the weekend, or you start walking along the beach, on Sunday after church. And you realize that all of a sudden you make three or four intimate, deep, penetrating friendships. And you feel that your friendship quotient is at full capacity. So that then when you come Sunday nights and you're hanging out in the worship service or you come to fire, <coughs> you hive off with those couple people that you know. And everyone else is kind of a blur. And you don't see anyone else at fire. So you all of a sudden find yourself friend faulty because you're investing in a few people, and that's great, but you're preventing yourself from being known to others or others getting to know you and see your character in your heart. Because I don't know about you, but I honestly believe I can't have enough friends. I would love for all of us to have a friendship problem where we have so many friends that we have to not only pick and choose who to hang out with when, but we have to mix them up 
and we have to introduce them to each other so that our friends, the ones that respect us, now are showing why they love us to other people. And all of a sudden we start to extrapolate and expand on how we're wired and what we're doing so that really it's not about my character, but it's about his character, Christ working in us, exposing his nature and will so that everyone exposed to a man or woman at fire is introduced to Christ. Because the more Christ-like we become, the less clicky we will be. So these are a couple of hard things to digest. You're probably saying, hey, I like the friend-worthy talk. That was really encouraging. I think I'm friend-worthy. But let's not talk about the friend-faulty stuff. You know, my life is not all it's made out to be. I know that, but I don't need you to point it out. Is there anything you can do to kind of relax the tension there? Well, actually, I want to kind of talk about friendship for a minute. If, if relationship, relational DNA rests on the foundation of friendship, let's put friendship to a test. Let's say that you have some awesome friends in your life, and you're really going to see if they're dependable, if they're honest, and they're going to speak truth to you at all times. A good friend will actually be there when you're considering a job change. And will say, you know what? I don't think you should go for that position. I think you should tough it out a little bit longer with your present work. Because I honestly believe God's not through with what he's going to do with you there. Or, yeah, that's a great opportunity. In fact, I bet your current employer is going to miss you. Can we just celebrate? Can I be a reference for you? I want to be there when you get that new job. That is a better match for you than what you're currently doing. But friends also are there for us when we're considering relationships. Wouldn't it be great that a group of women are praying for each other and considering God's best, and one lady confides in her friend and says, you know, I think this guy's interested in me. And she says, I think you're right. I think he is interested in you. I'm going to pray that he actually shows his intentions to you and that something will start out. That gal, that sister in Christ, now can be objective and watch your relationship and encourage you as a friend. Or, or, if she's really valuable to you and sees any red flags, she'll say, I'm glad that you're interested in a, a brother, but you know what? I think it's the wrong brother. I don't think that guy will treat you well. What you deserve is a man of God who loves God and loves his people and will respect you for who you are. Don't settle for anything less. But a true friend will not only be there for the everyday life experiences, a true friend will be there now and in the future so that I have, and I bet you have, or hope to have, someone that you may not have seen for a year or two years or three years, you pick up the phone and it's like you never left off. That's relational DNA rooted in friendship because true friends, time is not an issue. Friendship takes love and puts down 
constraints placed in our human world. Time and location, life space, those are constraints that the world offers. But friendship looks past those. Friendship sees that there is someone of value that I want to be in contact with, maintain a loving relationship with, and pray for when I can't maintain that close proximity, but know that I'm there. Because we get busy. We get called. Some of you may not be here next year. You may be gone. But friendship will last wherever God has taken you. And that's the type of heart and character that I'd love to see. Because here's where it gets down. Let's get back to the beginning. Because I honestly believe you have a shared want and desire like the person sitting next to you. And that is to get to the end goal. You want to be married and have your spouse sitting in these chairs with your feet in the sand with a margarita in your hand, smiling and styling for the rest of your life. But you're not going to be able to get in that seat unless you can be friend-worthy and trust people of your own gender. And they can rely on you and depend on you because I'll tell you what, some of the examples of the people that I shared at the beginning, for example, John and Bonnie and my wife Mary and myself, we were friends before we dated, friends before we got married. And the saying that you want to marry a friend, you want to marry your best friend, is truthful. Because if you do what I call hit or miss or strike dating, where you show up at a group like FIRE or you're hanging out after the Sunday night service and you're kind of surveying the crowd and you see a new face and you strike. Would you like to go for a cup of coffee? <laughs> and there's no friendship there. There's no commitment there. There's no understanding, no relational connecting points. If you get the no, you just move on. But you left someone vulnerable in the wake. Or more importantly, you both say yes and you have a date and it leads and you start to figure out the friendship as you're relating to each other. You haven't had a chance to see what makes you tick before you enter into the relationship. Now, I'm not saying you have to be like my wife Mary or me where we were friends for five years before we dated. I think you can be friends for a short period of time or a long period of time. But I do believe the investment in another person is awesome. And here's what I've always believed, and I just pass this on. I believe it's better to have a friend than it is to date someone. And I learned this back in high school, and if you heard this before, I'm sorry. I'll hit rewind and play it again for those that have heard this before. If it's your first time, maybe you'll find something edifying out of this. But I learned back in high school that I would rather have close female friends than date a gal and have an end and lose the friendship. To the point that I still have some very close female friends all the way back from high school. Because friendship for me was more invaluable and I saw that friends can last a lifetime and I also saw friends are desperately difficult to find. So I hope 
whether you have your group of three or four close pals or you're searching, that starting tonight, we all can be better and more worthy of friendship. And so be the glory if it leads to a romantic relationship. But so be the glory if it doesn't. Because a true friend will be with you no matter what your status is tomorrow. But I want to revisit what Al Shee said on the retreat. For those of you that were here, uh, sorry, for those of you that were at Camp Berea, you'll know what I'm saying. And for those that weren't, let me just share what Al Shee said. And he was quoting scripture. And he said, singleness is a gift. And marriage is a gift. Both are good gifts. They are not spiritual gifts. It is not the gift of prophecy or tongues or Holy Spirit anointing or hospitality. Those are Holy Spirit gifts that are to strengthen, encourage, and build up the body. The gift of singleness is to help you be a better person. And the gift is for today, to be utilized and maximized today and not to have worry or fear about tomorrow. So if today you're single, thank God that you know him and you're being used by him today. If tomorrow you're single, deal with that when it comes. If tomorrow you're married, deal with it when you come. Because with the high divorce rate and the high stress rate, there are a lot of competing factors on whether you should be married and stay married or whether you should be content in your singleness. Let's take the tension out of there. And let's be friends together where we can live life not worried about the future, but we can celebrate what God is doing today. Now, I just want to open up for a little dialogue right now. Since we said it was going to be a conversation and I've done a lot of talking, do you have something that you want to share, maybe rebut, maybe point out, just a couple of comments? What do you think about Relational DNA resting on the foundation of friendship. Does that resonate with you? Does it make sense? Does it not? Just a couple of couple comments. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Good, good. Thank you for that. In the back.
Well said, Sarah, just for those that couldn't hear her, because I know I was straining my ears uh, being up front. Another person, whether you date him or her, is a brother or sister in Christ. And if it's a friend, you're going to have that friend for eternity. And you want to make sure you're maximizing that friendship. And if you do anything in the short term that won't last, you'll have that, I, I'm paraphrasing poorly, but the, the value of friendship, knowing that you're really a family member in God's family is important. Dan. Say it again. It says, uh, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And that's something that I've held on to for a while. Um, because, I mean, we're human. We, is there any other guy here that cannot relate to that message of needing to look at women with absolute purity? Because I know I, I sure do. You know, but I'll just throw it out there. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. We're going to be talking about that next week in the, I mean, the next large group and in the second large group. In the back. So being whole in your singleness. And I guess that's kind of where I wanted to zoom in a little bit about this being friend-worthy and looking at relational DNA, resting on friendship, is if God is calling you to a life of singleness or God is calling you to be married someday and to be a spouse, how more appropriate that you can be someone's friend now. And through that friendship, you will learn what it means to be there for someone else. And you also can be strengthened and encouraged by a person in your life for a lifetime. We're not talking about acquaintances. We're talking about friends who matter to you and you matter to those friends around you. I'm talking about something that will help you in life, will grow you, challenge you, that will be the person that when it's your birthday, and you don't want a big fuss, will surprise you anyway with all your other friends and embarrass you. Talking about someone that just shows up at your work and says, come on, we're going to the beach today after work. We're going to have a bonfire. We're going to have fun. No, I've got to go visit my parents. I've already called them. They know that I'm doing this. And they said, take him away. Let him have some downtime. He's been working too much. The difference between an acquaintance and a friend is an acquaintance may know your mother or father's friend's name, but a friend actually has their phone number in your cell phone, in their cell phone. A friend, uh, rather the difference between an acquaintance and a friend, an acquaintance is someone that will show up and talk to you, but as soon as something catches his or her eye, will leave you lingering alone and isolated. Where a friend is someone that is in a conversation with someone that will not only take the time to introduce you to the people you're talking to, but will look you in the eye and say, how are you doing? And really mean it. And not want a simple fine for an answer. 
but we'll take the time to listen and we'll follow up with probing questions. An acquaintance is someone that may or may not call you when the group is going out for pizza. A friend calls you first and says, hey, should we get a group of people to go out for pizza? And helps you plan it out. Similarly, an acquaintance is someone that shows up to your house when you're having a group of people over and kind of goes in and thanks you for the party and you know, rifles through your food and makes some comment about, you don't have this, you know, I like that. A friend is the first one at the party helping you set up. And a friend is the last one there helping you clean up. A friend is someone that says, no matter what happens, no matter what you say to me, whether you're building me up or you're holding me accountable, is someone that will be there and stand the test of time. And I will love for you to hold me accountable to be more friend-worthy. I would love for us to raise our friendship quotient higher and allow fire to be known that we have deep, penetrating friendships, but also friendships that are open and not filled with cliques, friendships that are free and flowing with love, hope, and encouragement, and friendships that are challenging encouraging, uh, convicting, and building and healing friendships that are not judgmental or critical, but more filled with compassion and mercy and tenderness. To sum it up, friendships, as Christ loves you, may you love others as Christ loves you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for a chance to talk about relationships and look at relational DNA and to actually see and discuss how you want us to relate to each other and how you want us to have a conversation in and around relationships. Lord, you know our hearts. After all, you designed them. And you know that we have wants and desires to be in a romantic relationship. And you also know that you have a future and hope for us. Give us the peace and patience to wait for tomorrow and allow us to rest in what we know today. Lord God, if you have called us to be single today, may we celebrate that and deepen our friendships that we have. And may we be open to new friendships. And Lord, if you're calling us to be a man that can be dependable and reliable, then refine us because we may not have been that in the past. And if you're calling us to be a woman that has edifying lips, may you show that in our heart and character and teach us how to be that woman. And if we have not done that in the past, will you forgive us and heal us? Because, Lord, we want to be not only men and women that reflect your glory, but we want to be men and women that are empowered by your Holy Spirit to be friend-worthy to everyone we come into contact. And we know that that's how you've designed us you have given us the innate ability in our DNA structure to be social and to relate to others. May you use us in a powerful and blessing way. Amen.